Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to Convert Central. I'm Kevin Sidik Lim, the host of Convert Central, and I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Central. Our podcast focuses on the challenges that Muslim converts face along their conversion journey to help Muslims from all backgrounds to find a strong foothold in Islam. Follow our Instagram and LinkedIn page at Convert Central, and I look forward to sharing with you all the beneficial series we plan for the year. For now, I'd like to welcome you to Season 3 of Convert Central. Welcome back to Convert Central. So alhamdulillah, right now we are in the second episode of our gender series. And this episode, as mentioned in the ending of the previous episode, we're going to talk about uh, the understanding of gender. We're going to understand it better through a practical and real-life example of marriage. So before I go into what we're going to talk about today, we've had a very, very great episode earlier on with Usas, Dr. Fedos Yahya, and my two co-hosts, uh, Hafiza and Dini, where we talked about the wisdom behind why gender is as such in Islam. What exactly is gender in Islam? And also some of the assignment of roles and responsibilities with regards to specific genders. I think it's a must listen to for any converts or any anyone who's exploring Islam and wants to understand gender through the lenses of Islam. And of course, as Muslims, we believe that Islam provides the most balanced and wholesome and most uh, rational, wise way to live a life. And I'm so glad that we are able to kind of distill that thought process into something that we were able to present to, to you guys. So of course, we are not trying to provide conclusive answers. We're just trying to provide basic principles and guidelines that would perhaps help a convert uh, understand uh, gender uh, in Islam, at least until he's able to study at a higher degree, inshallah. So today, uh, I'm going to start off by talking about why we want to talk about marriage. And the, the answer to the question is, is simple, right? As we mentioned in our previous podcast, it's hard to understand gender in an isolated discussion. We cannot understand who is a female without understanding who is a male. We have to have something to relate to. And similarly, it's hard for us to understand the traits of a male without first understanding the traits of a female so that we have something to compare to and for us to relate to one another. And lastly, it's hard to understand the actual interactions of these roles and responsibilities of the genders without looking through the examples in our actual lives, which is why we take the example of marriage into this episode. So let's start by then going to the practical breakdown of a gender. And I'll start by with this question to Ustaz. Um, what is masculinity defined in Islam. Thank you, Brother Siddiq. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Rabbi shrohli sadri wa yassir li amri wa hlul uqratam lisani yaqqahu qawli. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka antal alimul hakim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to everyone. So the question is, what is defined as masculinity in Islam? Yeah. Right? So what is masculinity actually? How you define masculinity, the word itself? Then we can see from the lens of, of Islam. How, how, how do you look at it, Brother Siddiq? Uh, I'm going to share from my non-Muslim upbringing that like define masculinity as like macho. I, I would envision like growing up that, that uncle that was always so cool, never cries, never breaks a sweat, so macho. Yeah. So we are equating uh, masculinity with physical strength. Yeah, right? emotional grit. Emotional strength or emotional what toughness and, and physical strength. You won't cry like you know like baby when, yeah. when you do something. Now in Islam, that is not the definition of masculinity. In fact, if you talk about masculinity in Islam, we don't talk about just masculinity. We talk about man self, the gender, the male himself, and the role that God has given males according to his biological makeup. So if you fulfill that roles as much as you can. So the so-called masculinity between two inverted commas will go up. It means that you are more men than before. 
because why you have fulfilled the roles and responsibilities of a man. So if you are a husband and therefore you fulfill the role of a husband as much as you can, you go and earn money, bring back food for the family, protect the family. So your so-called masculinity in the eyes of Islam goes up. But if you don't fulfill that role, you leave it to your wife to earn the money while you just relax at home, watch football, playing games. There goes your masculinity in Islam. Means that you are not that manly enough. So that's the definition. So the opposite is femininity. So it's not uh, the de definition of femininity as being, you know, being so, sorry to use the word, sexy, right? Attractive to the opposite gender, beautiful, gentle. No, in Islam, that is not the definition of femininity. Again, the definition of femininity is how you fulfill your role as a female in your biological set, uh, makeup as a female, as defined by Islam. So if, for example, if you are a mother and you fulfill that role, you really take care of your children, bring up your children in the fall of Islam, teach your children about Islam and this and that. So your so-called femininity goes up. But if you try to imitate the men in their roles and their responsibilities, whereas your biological setup is not suited to that role, therefore your femininity, so-called femininity, in the eyes of Islam, will go down. So that is a very basic metric that I can give. Alhamdulillah. Thank you, Ustaz. All right. And I, I think um, I'll, I'll later let the sisters take over for the that feminine side of things and how they see it. For myself, I think, you know, going against the grain of this definition that you have defined for us, right? I think most of the time in real life, right, um, we have this misconception that if, if men show emotion, we feel less of a man. And, and at times, at first of time, I feel that myself, like we try to hold back tears because we want to see more manly, right? But uh, of course, we, we, we fail to recognize the fact that, you know, masculinity in Islam is not, it's not such a simple definition of a macho than you are masculine, but rather it's, it's a very nuanced uh, definition. If you fulfill your roles as a, as a male that has been assigned to you, then you become more masculine. And part of that role is, is, is having empathy and you're allowed to cry. Yes. You're allowed to cry. And there have been instances in which the life of the prophet that he did cry as well. So, yeah, subhanAllah. So, a follow-up question to that will be, then could you list for us some characteristics um, that would be defined as, that a masculine man would be defined as? And, and also, who will then be the most masculine man uh, in that sense? Like I said just now, the definition of masculinity in Islam is the one who fulfills as much as he can, right? The roles and responsibilities given to him as a male. Okay? So, if he can fulfill that, then of course his masculinity will go up. Now, it doesn't mean that he has to be strong emotionally to the point that he won't cry. In fact, in Islam, it's the opposite thing. The Prophet said that if you, the person who does not cry that much will have a very hardened heart. It's going to be hardened like, like rock stone. Then. Crying cause the heart to become soft. And why you need to become soft? Because we need to have that humility in front of God. And we cannot fight that thing that God has created in us, the emotions that, that will dwell up. So crying does not define whether that person is more masculine or more feminine. It is part and parcel of life, right? This is part and parcel of biological makeup. In fact, we, our eyes need to cry. Because we need to wet our eyes so that we can, you know, uh, remove all the impurities, dirt or whatever. It's always tearing up. So, so that is the, this thing. The Prophet ﷺ cried when his son Ibrahim died on the 29th day of Shawwal. 
and and then the uh, the companions as a prophet hey, oh, prophet you prevent us from from uh, crying uh, over the dead and the prophet said clarified i did not forbid you to cry over the dead i forbid you from wailing and because wailing means shows that you cannot accept the decree of god that god has taken someone that you love in this world to him so that is of course forbidden in Islam, but crying is something that's natural. So the Prophet said, this is something that is inside people. So it comes naturally. Uh, so it's not forbidden in Islam. That is this how we can look at it. Uh, from the Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I'm sorry if I couldn't answer your, your question properly. No, no, Alhamdulillah. That was, that was a great question. And, and I, I think it's so relevant, right? And of course, when we talk about the model then the model man, right? Uh, in Islam, that is extremely clear. We have our model for us, which is the Prophet yes. And also expanding that circle would be the companions around him, uh, the four uh, Khalifas, the four leaders of the uh, Muslim Ummah who came after him, Sayyidina Abu Bakr, uh, Sayyidina Umar, Sayyidina Uthman, and Sayyidina Ali. They all had their own personality traits that yes. men could emulate after. So it's not just a certain cookie cutter of sorts when it comes to men. Uh, you know, if let's say you are the more emotional type, you could be like Saidina Abu Bakar who, 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 who cry a lot. And or if you are the stricter type, you also could model yourself after Saidina uh, Umar, right? Who was a strict man, but yet he did also cry at times. Correct. Yes. So, but what we notice is that all great men of Islam, they have certain characteristics that are common amongst them. Right. And, and of course, they will take them and, and some of uh, them, they have different characteristics because of their personalities, but they have common characteristics. And, and that's what we're talking about, right? The, the most masculine man then will be, will be the man who takes on these characteristics and also fulfills his role as, as a man in Islam. So then now, I will pass on my time to uh, Dini and Hafiza to talk about female point of view, inshallah. Assalamualaikum Ustaz. Uh, thank you so much for the very beautiful answer. I think even myself as a, as a female, I sometimes am not sure how masculinity is defined in Islam. So thank you so much for sharing with us. Um, so on that note, let's move on to the females. So how is uh, femininity defined, uh, defined in Islam? All right, like an answer just now, right? Uh, as much as masculinity is defined as how much this male fulfill his God-given role, right? in Islam, of course, it's very clear. And likewise, in female, uh, femininity is defined as how much that female fulfill his God-given, the God-given role to her. So whatever position in her life, she might be a daughter, she might be the mother, she might be the wife, uh, she might be the grandmother or mother. So whatever her role during that time of life, then she, she tries to fulfill as much as she can according to what God has tell her to do it, then of course she becomes more feminine. The femininity goes up. May I just yeah. jump in? Yes. I actually yes. have a itchy question in my mind, if that's okay. okay. <laughs> Can I? Okay. So, uh, Ustaz, you were saying that um, the most feminine woman or the woman with the most feminist, uh, feminine characteristics as defined in Islam is the one that fulfills the God-given responsibilities stated in the Quran and the Hadith. Right. How about Ustaz? This might come across as a bit controversial, but this oh. is something that I was very wowed by. Lah. It's oh. the story of this Sahaba, uh, Um Amara, an, and she's actually known to be the Prophet's shield at the Battle of Uhud. Mm -hmm. So she's actually a woman that fought in the battle. And yes. wow, mashallah, this, this sentence that um, Prophet Sallallahu said about her, he mm. said that whenever I looked to my right or my left when I was fighting, I saw her in front of me because yes. she was fighting off all the enemies for Prophet Sallallahu And this can be something that people might find it uh, confusing because it doesn't really match the characteristics that 
uh, Islam has mentioned for uh, women. Instead, it actually talks about more of the characteristics for men in terms of, you know, protecting. Um, yeah, you know, protection, provider, that kind of yeah, things. Yeah. So is this woman, a uh, very blessed woman, also considered a role model that we Muslimas can follow in today's context? And is she considered to be a feminine woman? Okay, very good question. Right. So now when you talk about, about uh, the role, gender-specific role, it must be the role that only she can fulfill. The male cannot fulfill. For example, getting pregnant, giving birth, right? Uh, but if there are roles that both genders can fulfill, for example, go and fight, be the Mulan of Islam or the Mulan plus plus of Islam. All right, right. Go for it. If you can do it, if there is no male that can do it because they're all invalid or they, they cannot fight, they don't have the skill, but you have the skill. So you go and fight. Does it mean that you are depressing your femininity and, and uh, try to imitate the opposite gender? No, of course not, because that thing can be done by both genders. But of course, the degree is different. She might be the exception from the general rule, right? Or whatever she partakes in that battle or whatever she does, right? In this very certain limited way that, that she cannot uh, in certain manner imitate the man, for example. For example, there are men who can carry, you know, 100 kilograms of things, but she, because of her small station, she cannot carry that sort of things, right? So there are certain things that she cannot do, but whatever things that both genders can do and they can do it well, excellently, then do it. There's no such thing as oppressing your own femininity or masculinity. And so likewise, men taking care of children, you're not oppressing your masculinity, working as a caregiver, you know, uh, working in what you call it, uh, kindergartens or nurseries and taking care of small children if the mothers trust you like, to do it. Like, right? But if you can do it well, why not? You're not oppressing your masculinity because it's something that both genders can do. So we have to be very clear on what is very, very specific for each gender and what can be done by both genders, whether to a certain extent, externally or not, that's a different matter. So that's my answer to you. And all Subhanallah. Thank you so much, Mr. Alhamdulillah. And I uh, just wanted to uh, then conclude this segment of the podcast, right? But by, by, by talking about, um, by leading to um, today's life, where we talk about, we have like feminist movements. And to a small extent, we also have like masculine movements trying to revive something, some some parts of our lost masculinity, as, as, uh, as they would say. Then as Muslims now, we realize that their definition of feminism is much different from the Islamic definition or how we should define feminism, right? And knowing this now, as you have explained it, would help us to reconcile how we should approach these movements then. This is not a feminist movement to us Muslims if they are not pushing for feminism in the definition of Islam. So perhaps then you might not want to support them. And perhaps then as Muslims, then we should, through our own actions, try to promote what feminism is. Then by, by, by according to the true definition of feminism. So thank you, Hafiza, for that question. Thank you, Dini, for your question as well. Thank you so much, Ustaz, for, for clarifying uh, what femininity and masculinity is. And about uh, Um Amara uh, and Subhanallah, she, she helped out in the Battle of Uhud. And it was so significant to the fact that Rasulullah always said that like, whenever the fighting got tough, uh, I would always see her, uh, what you've quoted Hafiza earlier on. And that quote was so significant that on, in the time of Umar, when he received a a gift, right? And someone would advise him to give it to, I think, the daughter of the Prophet or, or one of his family members. 
And he then elected to, to give it to um Amara instead. And he said that, yeah, uh, when I see this gift, I only think of the prophet when he said, yeah, whenever the fighting got tough, I only we only saw um Amara fighting on the left and the right and the front. So he decided to give her the gift instead. Subhanallah. So let's move on, inshallah. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us about this. And also thank you so much for bringing up such a blessed figure in Islam. So we've, we've talked about how we have um, male models to emulate after. And of course, for us in this Islam, we are so privileged. There are so many female models that we can emulate after. We have um, people like Saidina Khadija, was the first wife of the Prophet Sayyidina Aisha, who was such a big scholar of Islam. Uh, Sayyidina Fatima, who was the daughter of the Prophet We have Um Salama as well, uh, the Prophet wife, in which she, at times she also gave advice to the Prophet especially in a time of, I think, uh, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when all the companions were so shocked at what, what happened that they, they could not follow his instructions. He went to seek her counsel and she said, if you, you do just as you said and they will follow. And indeed, he then did as she said. And then all of the companions were upon seeing the Prophet uh, do as he has commanded. All of them started to follow him. So subhanAllah, we have so many big female figures as well in Islam for us to emulate. So I uh, don't think that there's a shortage you know, in Islam just because our central figure, uh, our Prophet is a male. There are many female figures as well for us to emulate and, and um, model our behavior after. So uh, moving to the last part of the podcast, now we're going to talk about marriage. And before we talk about marriage, right, and, and also try to explore the wisdom behind some of the roles and responsibilities, right, I'd just like to get with us, help, to help us to summarize and break down what are some specific roles and responsibilities of a husband and wife in a marriage. Inshallah. Okay, thank you, Brother Siddiq. Now, uh, to be very brief, right, uh, whatever are the responsibilities of a husband are the rights of the wife and vice versa. Whatever the responsibilities of the wives, they are the rights of the husband. Now, uh, we can talk about from physical responsibilities and spiritual responsibilities, material responsibilities. So you can break down into three spheres. We talk about physical uh, responsibilities, then uh, the responsibilities of the husband is to provide for the family and protect the family. And those are the rights of the wife and the children to be provided for, to be uh, protected from any harm because he has been given physically superior body mass, muscle rather than, than the female. So that is the role specific to him. Then we talk about the second sphere, the spiritual sphere. The responsibilities of the husband is to guide the wife. Now, what about the wife guiding the husband? Of course, both parties have to guide each other. It might be that the wife has more knowledge or more knowledgeable in Islam or in other matters rather than the husband. So it, the, the burden of guidance is more on the wife rather than the husband. So this is a general specific rule when uh, we find that if the husband has, has more wisdom and more experience and more knowledge, so the burden of guidance is upon the husband's shoulder rather than the wife's shoulder. But it does not mean that everything that the husband say is correct and everything that the wife say is not correct and she's just a follower. No. An effective leader is the one who listens to others and adjusts his actions. And that is an effective leader. If he does not do that, then he does not become a leader. He becomes a, a dictator. So we do want to have a dictator in a family. So uh, that is a spiritual sphere. He has to guide her. And at the same time, he must know that he's also a human being. He's not a God. He is not a prophet. And he makes mistakes. And so therefore, he must be dependent on her and inform her to correct him if 
she sees any mistake in him so it is you know both parties work each other and that's why the prophet and uh, allah SWT says very beautifully summing up in surah al-baqarah allah SWT says your wife is like a clothing for you or husband and you or husband they are you are like a clothing for your wife so a cloth is one who protects us a cloth is one who beautify us the cloth is one that inform us that you know there's certain things that deficiency you have to cover so there's a function of the cloth so both of us right both husband and wife have to work together uh to to, to perfect each other so that's the, the spiritual uh, realm when we talk about the material thing of course we know that the husband has to besides protecting and earning the money the husband also has to ensure that everything that uh, the family needs is sufficient it's not just bringing in the money but ensure that everything is sufficient according to to his means the wife's needs and the children's needs and therefore we have the maintenance that's very very being very clearly defined in islam that the husband has to maintain the wife uh, respect to her food sustenance uh, food and drinks of course and then her clothing and a house over her head she is entitled for all these three things now if you want to add to that then you can add pocket money for her but this is something that is optional that can be discussed between husband and wife the way how the husband and wife uh, goes about uh, managing the family finance it can be they can have a shared account and both of them take money put in money from that account or he can uh, specify certain amount of money to her and she can say that no it's not enough uh, you need to give me more or whatever arrangement that the husband and wife can uh, can agree upon that is something that god has given a uh, leeway uh, and freedom for the husband and wife to discuss. So, but these three basic things cannot be argued, it cannot be uh, negotiated. She needs, her right is for her to be fed and to be clothed and to have something over her head to live to. But of course, in Singapore, it's, it's very expensive to own a house. So in the meantime, they can stay in whatever house, rented house, as long as there's a roof over, over her head. So there's a right and it becomes his responsibilities. And now we talk about her responsibilities become his rights and her responsibilities is what is to obey the husband that's first and foremost now we said why 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 this obedience is just like you know a slave and a master no it's not like that obedience is not just the the example of a, a slave and a master we obey the law the singapore's law is it that we are a slave and then the government is our master of course not we obey because what we want we want you know order in this world so when god said that okay you have this family unit and you have one who goes out and, and, and bring uh, food and protect you and he is of the bigger mass than you. So you have to obey him and take him as your leader. And because there are certain times when you might have some emotional turmoil, there are periods in woman's life monthly or the hormones might gone berserk in certain, certain times. Uh, so uh, she might need a pillar right for her and that pillar comes in the shape of a husband so uh, she has to obey but obedience to a human being must be uh, predicated in the obedience of god so if let's say the husband wants her to do things that goes against god goes against allah's command then she has no not she has the right she has the obligation to disobey the husband there is no obedience to another creature when it comes to things that go against the commands of the creator that is a rule that we have to remember okay but obedience is not uh you know a blind obedience 
and she has to weigh herself is request from the husband or the order for husband is within her to fulfill or not is it relevant or not is it logical or not uh, can i negotiate if it's not relevant then can i really talk back to him nicely to reconsider this and that so there are a lot of ways it's not 100 blind obedience of wife to, to the husband so that is a responsibility and therefore his right to, to assist him in fulfill his responsibilities towards her and number two is that uh she has to ensure that if let's say she uh, the husband uh, gives money to her and she's not working she has the responsibility to take care of her husband's property and wealth because the husband entrusted her 100% so she cannot betray that trust so that is her responsibility and his right now number 3 she uh, must take care of herself uh, in terms of obedience to god because if she does not obey God, then she'll be sinful. But the, the sad thing, I call it the sad thing because I'm a husband, the sad thing is that the sin will also be shared, will be given to the husband. So the husband actually shoulders the sin of two persons, himself and his wife. If his wife does not follow God, and if he does not do anything to correct the wife, if the wife opens up her outright, she'll be sinful but he will also get the sin there's a horrible thing and so does the children if the children do something that is wrong but the sin will go to the father and the mother more to the father rather than to the mother because the father is considered as the leader of the family the head of the family and he has the responsibility to correct what is wrong more than the mother's responsibility to correct what is wrong so that is a heavy responsibility for for men for men uh, and for, for, for husband. So, uh, Siddiq, you might want to think over before you... <laughs> <laughs> subhanallah, subhanallah. Happy, yeah. happy, oh, it's it will be much easier. <laughs> subhanallah. That, that was such a great and comprehensive answer. You've given both sides of the of the coin. And what I just wanted to add on with, with your sharing is, is then you've given us the full picture of specific distinction between the roles of a male and a female in a marriage, correct? And, and we've talked so much about wisdom in the previous episode that I'd like to bring it into this uh, particular setting. And of course, we talk about how, how wisdom is, and the wisdom behind the assignment of roles is due to the differences in the nature of the two genders, right? And anyone who has listened to what Ustaz has mentioned can see that how he has distinguished the roles of both the husband and the wife is really due to the differences of their nature, whereas the, the man might have more energy, he is a bit more physically able to go out and work and hence he's assigned to be the breadwinner. The wife in a marriage should be assigned to uh, be in charge of the household, right? Um, because of a certain attributes that she would possess as well. So this is the wisdom behind why the existence of roles and responsibilities in, the, in a marriage are as such in Islam. So subhanAllah, Ustaz, thank you so much for bringing that kind of lens into in the podcast so that we could help the listeners understand how the interaction between the two genders would happen in, in a real life setting. So of course, we understand that if you talk about marriage, right, and, and, you, and we've talked about the rights, roles, you know, for all the time we've talked about marriage, this is what I've been talking about. But we should also understand that, you know, in a marriage, it's not just about rights. It's not just about roles and responsibilities defined by, demarcated by Sharia laws, right? Because if you were to think about it, if one were to just follow Sharia laws for Ibadah, that would be just do the obligatory for the for, for, for ibadah, that would be quite 
um, senseless, right? If we were to just, like, for example, we, we pray as Muslims. If we were to just do the 13 obligatory acts in, in Salat, no one really does that for prayers. But we supplement that with the Sunnah of the Prophet We supplement that with, with uh, Taqwa, which is awareness of Allah, sincerity of Allah. Right? And that applies not just to, 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 to Salat. It applies to all acts of Ibadah in our lives. Applies to marriage as well. Applies to our interaction between men and women. So, um, you know, when we talk about roles and responsibility, that, that sets the, the bedrock. In fact, Shara is there to, to prevent things from falling out too badly when things go wrong. Right? But when, when, when things go wrong, then they, they're, they're there to provide, protect the rights of men and women. But when things are right, we, we don't just act on the Shara itself. If not, marriage should just be very transactional if you think about it. But rather, we supplement that Shara with things Ustaz has also mentioned earlier, that when the man gets the responsibility to lead, he does not just lead in a sense where he is fully authoritative. He listens to his wife. He leads with love with understanding, with wisdom. That is what it means to, to be in a marriage. That is what it means to have proper interactions following the example of the Prophet And that is the, the gel. That's the oil. That's the motor oil that, 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 that gels our entire society together. We are not a society that's just gelled together by black and white written on laws. We are gelled by the, the, the excellence of the behavior of the Prophet and, and the baraka that brings to our lives. So in, in understanding the roles and responsibilities, that means that we are understanding the lines that, that, that is drawn. But to understand what is within the lines itself, then we have to look at, into the behaviours of those who are respected in our community, those who are respected in our Islamic history, and we learn from their examples. And, and that is truly the full understanding of gender. Not just only understanding, okay, this is my right, I owe this right to this person, so, so we do it. That's, that's not how marriage works. We go above and beyond for our spouse, even if this is not something that Islam prohibits. If our wife asks, I'm, I'm sure maybe this is a question we can ask the staff, if your wife asks you to do something in which she is, it's just a preference and it's not defined in Sharia, who says, will you do it uh, for the betterment of the marriage? Yeah, I mean, if, if, if the husband can do it, right, and it's not, I mean, it's not central in, for, in, the, in his duties and responsibilities, but if he can do it, he must do it. That is leading by example. Yeah. You have to become yeah. a good leader. You have to lead by example. So as much as you want your wife to do things that you know, later on is not sanctioned or within her duties and responsibilities, and, but you want your wife to do it. For example, you want your wife to, I mean, serve you food, right? I want to go back home and then I'm tired. Say, I want, uh, can you, uh, I mean, make coffee for me or drink for me? Is it within the duties of the wife to, to prepare food for the husband every time the husband comes home? Or you know, I mean, dutifully serve food for him? No, it's not that. It's something that is going beyond her her her, her basic duties and responsibilities. Yeah. So whatever she does, right, she does yeah. she does it out of love. So you no, know, lead by example. So he has to do it. Alhamdulillah. So, so the ultimate takeaway from this podcast is not that after you finish deciding to this, all your wives, you go to your husband and say, no, this is not wajib for me to build a coffee for you. Coffee. You do it yourself. <laughs> Subhanallah. You know, but rather now, now you understand that there are rights definitely is to protect us. But to ensure that we have a blissful and blessed marriage interactions with the other gender, we have to learn beyond that. We have to learn what are good behaviors. Right? And, and this, hopefully with this podcast, it can be the step, the first step in, in that journey. Right? Inshallah. So, Alhamdulillah, thank you so much, Ustaz. And um, to end this podcast, um, and also similar to how we end the previous podcast, we will just end with one FAQ. And of course, not forgetting my co-hosts, we'll, get, we'll give them some time to also share their learning experiences and also ask me one question if they have uh, to Ustaz. And inshallah, we'll end the podcast. So um, I'll pass it on to Dini to ask the FAQ 
And inshallah, she can also help us to conclude with some of our reflection points as a female Muslim who has sat through this podcast, inshallah. Allah, thank you so much, Ustaz, for the very beneficial sharing. So, um, actually, I was a bit curious, right? So, with these different definitions of masculinity and femininity in Islam, um, can individuals who identify with an alternative gender then embrace Islam? All right, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, Islam, let me put it this way, Islam is more on belief system. If you believe in something, then whatever happens, whatever things that, that happens in your life, whether you, you have a different perspective of gender or you have a different perspective of other things, but if you believe in the truth of Islam, go for it. That is the guidance for God. And put everything later on. If you, if you put your trust in God, God will take your hand and lead you to the correct path and relieve you from anything that confuses you or bothers you. So even if you have a different perspective in gender or different perspective in other roles, whatever, you believe in the truth, in the existence of what is one God, this, this infinite uh, power, the omnipresence of God. So just go for it. See your shahada and inshallah, right, your life will be more guided. Thank you so much, Ustad. I think this was definitely such an insightful sharing, mashallah. Um, I think sometimes when we discuss the roles of men and women, especially in marriage, right, sometimes we often forget that each of these roles come with responsibility and accountability, but not just to each other, but to Allah. And honestly, that is so scary to me, subhanAllah. And if we just take these roles at face value and say, hey, look, they have more roles and they conclude that they have more power, then subhanAllah, we're not acknowledging that there's a lot more responsibility that comes with these roles, right? Um, but on that note, uh, one beautiful thing that I learned from this sharing is also that we are rewarded according to our efforts in trying to fulfill our roles to the best of our abilities, right? We acknowledge that nobody is perfect and there's no doubt that um, we probably have to play many roles in our lives every day. And sometimes when we have these all these ideals, you know, all these ideal role models um, that we are striving for, sometimes we can feel disappointed when we don't achieve these ideals or when you encounter difficulties, subhanAllah, but um, have faith uh, that Allah, I, I from Ireland today at least, have faith that Allah sees your efforts and you will be rewarded for it, inshallah. Yeah, yeah, thank you so much, Ustaz. It was really a very beneficial sharing. I think I even learned that it's not the wife's responsibility to serve food because I guess culturally in my family, it seems so. <laughs> so that's something that I um, might always blur the lines of what is required of a woman, what is required of a man is when you mishmash the cultural norms together. And that's why... An example from the Prophet, because this might be misconstrued as me being, you know, a feminist, you know, uh, I mean, breaking the gender role, whatever you want to call it. You have to go back to our examples in life. And that is the prophet, the best example. How he conducted his life as a married man, as a husband. So Aisha radiallahu anha, who lived with him, right, related that the Prophet Sallallahu when he was with his family members, he was at the service of his, his family members. He kept the house clean, he helped the wife to clean the house, and then he mended uh, his own clothes, his, mend his own shoes, you know, and, and, and uh, I'm not sure about preparing food, maybe the Prophet was uh, a little bit busy for preparing food because it takes a long time. Lah. So preparing food might be given to, to Aisha because Aisha might know better how to cook. So this is again, you know, giving role to the one who can do things better. Uh, so he might prepare, but the Prophet never demanded Aisha to prepare food when I come in. No, he never said that. 
never did that. In fact, in one one in one narration, the Prophet Muhammad after you know doing this business in the morning after morning prayer, fajar prayer, he went out and then uh, went about with his business meeting this thing and then people and after he came back to his house right uh, when the sun is a bit higher up. So then he went to went inside and asked his wife Aisha radiallahu anha, do you have any food for breakfast? Do you have any food for breakfast? So Aisha said, Oh Prophet, I'm sorry, we don't have any food. Imagine the Prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his house did not have any food that day, nothing to eat for breakfast. If it happens to any one of us, I think we will break down and cry. Oh, how poor I am. <laughs> but the Prophet had a very simple solution. He did not get angry. He just said that, oh, there's no food. Okay, then I fast today. Finish. That's a very simple, beautiful solution. No food. Okay, I start fasting. Might be along the way this day. Allah will give me food. Then I will break fast with that food. And that's it. He never got angry with his wife. And his wife, you know, Aisha radiallahu anha, might be, she might also be fasting or she might be fasting that day. We do not know. Right? But, but there's an example that Prophet Muhammad never demanded uh, that Aisha prepared food for for him. He just asked, do you have any food? That's it. And his wife also, when he visited any of his wife, his wife will prepare food for him out of love, not because he demanded it. Uh, so any wives who listen to this, right, said it's not my responsibility to serve you any food, okay, okay. Uh, but do you know your husband? Ah, I love my husband. So then, you know, show your love uh, through that that's very simple act. And then, you know, that they said, the way to the man's heart is through his stomach. So prefer the food for, for the husband. So that's how it is. Right. Okay, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Afiza. Continue. No problems. Das. Thanks so much for sharing that. I think that's something I can share with my family after this as well. <laughs> Inshallah. And yeah, so I think uh, one of the things that I learned as well and I hold as a easier way to for me to understand because one thing that I was struggling to understand when delving into gender roles in Islam was why are women not the leaders then in Islam? Why, why did Allah choose the men to be leaders? And why did Allah choose the husbands to be the ones to lead, to be the ones to um, have the responsibility of, um, you know, spiritual guidance in the family or like making the decisions, the final say, even there is a hadith of how uh, when the husband goes overseas and he gets to tell the wife, you cannot go out and you have to stay at home and the wife has to listen as long as she promised the husband she cannot go out already after that. So there's all these hadith here and there that um, can sort of like cloud our thoughts about like and make us feel that the wife is uh, more in more of the oppressed position where they cannot make their own decisions. And I think that is something that um, a lot of people with without the guidance or with very little understanding can sort of fall trapped into or like, yeah, so, so this, this is something that I also... Um, thought to be like why is it like that I keep asking these why why questions lah. and then I heard this perspective which sort of shone light uh, on why exactly are things this way so even in school right something that I realised uh, when this perspective was shared with me we all have um, group work we do project work together and then the teacher will choose someone to be the group leader and then we just follow like oh okay Lord, then this is our group, group leader whatever the group leader say um, although we get to discuss and we can form a decision together, but the group leader sort of has the final say or like has the um, responsibility of guiding the group to do this project. And in that situation, we don't really question why is this person a group leader and why not me? And if we do, it's like we, we just uh, do things for the betterment of the group, for the group to function, for the group to do well. So in the very same way, the teacher has the wisdom to choose the group leaders. 
and then we follow because we are the students. So it, it's like a very, not like exact analogy, but I feel like that helped me to understand better. Allah being the one with the most wisdom, the one with the most knowledge, he chose for us that men will be the ones to lead the family and to make the final decisions and women will be the one to um, support. And uh, they have, like what uh, Ustaz has mentioned time and time again in this podcast series is that we go according to what we have been given biologically, psychologically, physically and all that. What is best that we, what what we can do best? We have already been assigned the roles so that we can perform best and we can uh, work together and very smoothly to do this project together called marriage. So I think that was something that I uh, alhamdulillah got the clarity of being a very strong strong personality myself. I think I was very upset that I couldn't be the leader in my future family one day, but uh, inshallah. But I felt now after hearing all these responsibilities that come together, I'm, I feel very thankful uh, that I'm not the leader. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So inshallah, um, we can continue to um, get this guidance and get clarity in all these questions that we have. And inshallah, this podcast has been a way to get the clarity for many of you who are listening today. Inshallah, Amin. And yes, I'm very, very thankful to be a part of this session. And I'll pass it back to Brother Siddiq to conclude the podcast, Inshallah. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. So before we end the podcast, I'd like to extend, uh, extend our greatest gratitude, not just to Ustaz, uh, but also to my two co-hosts as being my companions to understanding gender in Islam. And not just the listeners who benefit, you can see that us, us ourselves, we are the hosts. And, and yet, we are, we are, I think we are the ones who benefit the most because we are able to be in, in, in interaction with Ustaz, subhanAllah. And, and just as a concluding point then, today just two points right so the, the first point will be um you know uh sis haviza mentioned about hadith and you read hadith and sometimes you don't understand and it kind of contradicts our understanding of, of of islam right and that's because sometimes we don't understand the context of the hadith we don't understand when it was reviewed and why was it reviewed right and that's the that, that underlies the importance of seeking proper knowledge and and of course one of the ways to do so would be to learn from ustas like ustas uh Fadal Yahya. Uh, a lot of different ustas in Tarawakam will also be more than happy to discuss topics like this to you so especially when when it comes to topics like this like gender or associated topics topics like mental health as well a lot of uh, questions come in and that it's important to clarify your doubts when you have any right and and uh, one of uh, my teachers will always say that there's no higher in seeking knowledge there's no higher in learning there's no modesty in learning you, if you have a doubt you, you you need to ask it because it's so important for you as a muslim to have certainty in what you learn so inshallah you know we hope that with this podcast itself we don't just talk about 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 gender but we managed to touch a little bit about the adab the uh, good mannerisms of seeking knowledge as well for, for aspiring converts who, who want to learn more about islam and last but not least the importance of of, of what we're talking about um, um becoming modern men and women for ourselves right we first listen to this podcast to benefit and and be it your 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 born muslim or your convert coming uh, just into islam why why then how do we take away uh, and and translate this piece of humiliation into our own practices right we ask ourselves why we want to become modern men and women, right? Can we, 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 can, we can choose to become anyone we want, right? But why do we want to become modern men? And why do we want to marry modern women for us? And also vice versa for, for females, right? It's one, of it, one of the reasons is because we also want to practice the sunnah of the Prophet So when we marry uh, women, we marry females, we make uh, our wives are like Saidina Aisha, then it's very easy for us to uh, practice the sunnah of the Prophet and if you marry a man like Rasulullah, who, 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 is, who has characteristics like Rasulullah, then it's very easy for us to practice the sunnah of Sayyidina Aisha, Sayyidina Khadija, 
and, and hence this is why we also try strive to become people like them. So it's easy for us to practice, not just for ourselves, but also our children, and our wives, our family members. So this is, inshallah, the first step towards that kind of uh, angle that we have in mind. And, and at this point of time, I'd like to make a dua, especially uh, for, for all four of us here in, in, in the podcast, that we, inshallah, we do end up have, having that station of, of people who have, you know, a, a characteristics that would be similar to, to Prophet Sallallahu as well as the uh, great women of Islam. So at this point of time, thank you once again uh, to my two amazing co-hosts, Dini and Hafiza, and our even more amazing guest speaker today with us, Ustaz Dr. Fadaus Yahya. It has been indeed a pleasure to have you on board. And I think, you know, three of us can unanimously agree that we've learned so much coming to the podcast. And subhanAllah, we are so happy that we benefited from this podcast ourselves as well. So thank you so much, Ustaz. And for the last time tonight, I'd like to get your help uh, to help us to end the podcast by reciting a dua and also Tasbih Kafaran Surah Al-Asr. Bismillah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alamin. Assalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma ja'al jama'ana hadha jama'an marhuma wa ja'al tafarruqana min ba'di tafarruqan ma'asuma. Fala taj'al fina wala minna wala baynana shaqiyan wala ma'turudan wala mahruma. Rahmatika ya ar-Rahman rahimin. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen and let us end with Tasbih Kafara and Surat Al-Asr. Subhanakum Habdika Shadwada ilaha ila anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim wal-asrim al-insanala fi khusr ila al-ladhina amanu wa amanu salihat wa tawasabi al-haqti wa tawasabi al-sabi. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ustaz. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh.